lesson for this second Sunday after Christmas is found recorded in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah, chapter 5, beginning at verse 2. We hear the prophecy of Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, from you will go out the one who will be the ruler for me in Israel. His goings forth are from the beginning, from the days of eternity. Therefore the Lord will give them up until the time when the woman who is in labor bears a child. Then the remaining survivors from his brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd with the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will dwell securely, for at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at the 10th verse. Certainly it was fitting for God, the one for whom and through whom everything exists, in leading many sons to glory, to bring the author of their salvation to his goal through sufferings. For he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all, all have one father. For that reason, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. Within the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am and the children God has given me. Therefore, since the children share flesh and blood, he also shared the same flesh and blood, so that through death he could destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were being held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For surely he was not concerned with helping angels, but with helping Abraham's offspring. For this reason he had to become like his brothers in every way, in order that he would be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, so that he could pay for the sins of the people. Indeed, because he suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, beginning at the 40th verse. After hearing his words, some of the people said, This is truly the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Surely the Christ does not come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Christ comes from David's descendants and from the little town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the people were divided because of him. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, when Herod was king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was alarmed, and all Jerusalem with him. He gathered together all the people's chief priests and experts in the law, and he asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, 
in Bethlehem of Judea, because this was written through the prophet. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are certainly not least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and found out from them exactly when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report to me, so that I may also go and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Then the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stood still over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with overwhelming joy. After they went into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Since they had been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, did you check out a couple weeks ago and look up in the sky to see what's called the Bethlehem star? Supposedly it is, it is Jupiter and Saturn and, and it takes, uh, what is it, a day or two for them to actually come together. You can see where the shape of Saturn is, is, is oddly shaped so you can tell that there's the rings. It was two very bright lights. And supposedly, many believe that that was the Bethlehem star over Jesus. Because this phenomenon only occurs maybe once every 800-some years. Now, could it be the Bethlehem star? Well, if you're one who believes that the star was a natural phenomenon, I guess that would be one good guess among many. But I am one who really struggles with that. And therefore, I struggle calling Jupiter and Saturn coming together as the Bethlehem star. Because the star occurred right at the time of Jesus' birth. And it stayed with them because the Magi, those wise men, were following that star. And we hear that Jesus and Joseph and Mary are no longer at a stable. They're actually in a house. So we could be talking about this star shining over Jesus for possibly several months, maybe even up to a year. So could that have been Saturn and Jupiter? I am one who truly believes that the star over Jesus was a miracle. It was a once-in-a-lifetime star that was placed over by Jesus, and it will not occur again. And with that in mind, what's important is not the star, as we try to figure out what the star may or may not be. But rather, what's important is what the star is pointing to. It's pointing to Jesus. That's what was important. That's to whom the wise men were seeking. Yes, they were looking to the star and following the star. But it was, again, what that star pointed to. It pointed to the king of the Jews who is the savior of the world. 
and especially the Savior of the Gentiles. This is the one the wise men came and worshipped. And more than once we hear the word worship because we can learn a great deal from these wise men concerning worship and what God-pleasing worship really looks like. First and foremost, God-pleasing worship means dedication. These are men from the east. Now, east of Jerusalem is the Jordan River, and, and east of that is the Arabian Desert. So for these wise men to come, they either had to cross the Arabian Desert, or more than likely, they would have followed the trade routes, which were following the rivers, because there's where you got your water source. They would have had to carry a tremendous amount of water to cross the desert, which most people didn't do. So if we're looking at these men coming from the east, we could be looking at like over 500 miles. You're talking months and months of travel as they followed the star to Jerusalem and ultimately to Bethlehem. Now, following this route and going this direction with this great distance, many believe that their starting point could have been Babylon. And keep in mind that 600 years before the birth of Christ, Daniel was actually appointed to be head over the Magi during the time of Nebuchadnezzar when the Jews were under Babylonian captivity. So if that is the case, could it possibly be that these wise men are leaving this area because of maybe some prophecy that we do not have in our Holy Scriptures, but some prophecy that they read following that star, or maybe really more than likely, God had come to them in a dream since he did it later on. He came to them in a dream and told them to follow that star. Either way, these men are dedicated to find the Christ child. They are dedicated to go and find that Savior and to worship him. Travel, distance, time would not get in their way. And even when they got to Jerusalem and they didn't see the star for whatever reason, they went to Jerusalem. They inquired. They asked even King Herod, who brought in the chief priests and the experts of the law. And they pointed out from God's word that he is to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. See, that they didn't have. That they needed. And of course, their hearts were overjoyed, overwhelmingly with joy, when they left to Jerusalem on their way to Bethlehem and saw the star again pointing to the Christ child whom they found. What dedication that they were willing to make because all that mattered to them was worshiping Jesus their Savior. Yes, the Christ child. My dear friends, as we keep our eyes focused on Christ, be dedicated to your Lord all the excuses that easily come up concerning whether we have the time or, or even concerning distance and, and all the things that we can come up with to justify 
not worshiping the Lord, especially with fellow believers, is not dedication at all. Notice these magi. They made no excuses. Their hearts were filled with joy. Again, because Jesus is their Savior. I remember early in my ministry when I invited um, a young lady to please come to church. Please come and join us for church. And she never did. In fact, her comments back to me, which has always stuck with me, is the comment that it's just too far away. She was only like 10, 15 minutes away. Nope, it's just too far away. In fact, if you would place your church and build a church in my backyard, then I will finally go. No, ma'am, you won't go. Because the problem is not distance. Even if it was in your backyard, it would still be too far. The problem was selfishness. And selfishness, no matter what form it takes, is always sinful. And selfishness shows its ugly head in being lazy and indifferent and apathetic towards God and his holy word. In fact, I would put laziness right up there with false doctrine. And the Lord Jesus himself said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Even the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, makes it very clear to keep away from false teaching and those that continue in it. So watch out and keep away from that temptation of Satan to be lazy and let distance and time and travel be an excuse. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. He is your Savior too. And worship Him. Being dedicated. And along with that dedication, being generous. When the Magi saw the Christ child, they worshipped Him, which literally means to, to kneel down. They would lower themselves to him. That was only reserved for those of honor and, and nobility and of high rank. So when they're worshiping the Christ child, lowering themselves, they're saying, we are the servants. You are the king of glory. You are our savior. You're the one who really matters. It's not about us. It's what God says and, who God, and what God has done for us. And then they presented him with the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Because there's three gifts, it's automatically assumed there were three wise men. We actually don't know that. All we know is the word is plural, which means there's more than one. Could there have been 101? Boy, that would have been a pretty full house. But we don't know how many. And by the way, tradition even names each of the three kings. But scripture does not. And then, to hear that they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh, these are very, very expensive gifts. These are gifts of royalty. And because of this, many believe that the three wise men were probably three kings. But here we're told they're wise men, more than likely advisors to the king probably ambassadors 
of kings who came to lay these beautiful gifts down. Some find in these gifts extra meanings and, and special symbolism. Like, for instance, the gold emphasizes that he is king. And then frankincense, which would be used to, to burn when you gave your prayers to God. Well, then that emphasizes his divinity. Or the myrrh, which would have been used to embalm somebody, reminds us of his humanity. But again, Scripture doesn't say that. It's a beautiful way of putting it. But here is what Scripture does say. He calls gold, frankincense, and myrrh gifts. They weren't tax payments. They weren't dues. They, they were not any kind of payment at all. They were gifts. Freely given. They weren't asked to give them. They weren't expected to give them. They gave them naturally. Motivated by their love for their Savior. And Jesus is their Savior. That's the same motivation when it comes to each and every one of us giving gifts. And why taking a collection at our church service is such an important part. It isn't that we're simply collecting money to pay our bills. And to meet our budget. It's, it's actually an act of worship. It is an opportunity to respond out of love to the very one who not only blessed us with those gifts, but the very one who gave his life for us as an atoning sacrifice on the cross for the sins of the world. The very God who made us is the very God who saved us. And to have that opportunity, not only to sing praises, not even, even to, not only to offer up prayers as we do so with hearts united, but even to join together in putting an offering in the plate, laying down gifts, giving glory and praise to the Lord. Therefore, my friends, we do not follow the philosophy, junk for Jesus. We give up our best. We give generously. And what that amount is, is going to be between you and your Lord. But always respond out of love and with a believing heart, focused on what the star pointed to, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Worship your Savior. Yes, with dedication. Yes, with generosity. But also with obedience when it was time for the Magi to leave, the Lord came to them in a dream and told them to go another route. And they obeyed. They obeyed the word of the Lord. And so, God has revealed to us, not usually even today through dreams and visions. He could if he wanted to. But we know for sure he has revealed himself to us through his holy word. And so we use that holy word to test everything. And anything against that word, we know is not of God. So use that word and obey it. Not just hear it, letting it go in one ear and out the other. And say, yes, it's good. Yep, that's a good saying. Yeah, that's a good philosophy to live by. we really got to work hard at doing that. No, take it to word, take that word to heart because it is the word of the Lord. 
Yes, we can look at the stars, but the stars do not reveal to us everything about God. The stars, when you look to them, are not going to reveal to you what your personality is going to be over time, whether you're a Pisces or a Taurus or, or whatever. The stars don't work like that. But the stars do reveal, they do reveal that there is a supreme God who made everything, and it does reveal that that God is very wise and extremely powerful. But what the stars and our nature and walking through the woods and feeling the wind against your face can never reveal is who the true God is and how we are saved by that true God that is only found in the written word. And that's why we can only be saved by the written word which tells us that the true God is triune. One God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It tells us how we're saved, and we're saved only through faith in Jesus who took on human flesh and once again exchanged that manger for a cross. And we rejoice that it is an empty cross because he rose conquering death itself. So with that in mind, cling to that holy word as we begin this new year, knowing that that holy word is our personal star that points to the Christ child. In fact, begin this new year being a copycat, copying the worship of the Magi, who worshiped the Lord with dedication, with generosity, and in obedience. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.